Well, look, it's been a long time since I've been here. Um, a long time. Um, I think it's been around six or seven years. So uh, about that time, um, I, um, I was preaching and there was just one child in my family. Uh, this young lady up here. Uh, look, I could laser point at her. I don't know if that will work on the screen, though. It doesn't work on the screen. This is, uh, this is Esme. She's my eldest. Uh, you might remember when she was here last, she, uh, uh, she joined me up here and, uh, and she partook in the sermon. Uh, she was uh, uh, our little bundle of joy back then. Um, since then, there have been two more. A, uh, a rather cheeky chappy uh, in the middle there, who um, please doesn't look happy to be having his photo taken and shared with everyone. His name is Max. He is three years old. He has a, a cheeky energy to him, as his grandparents will uh, testify to. And um, next to me is uh, the middle boy, Isaac. Uh, he is six years old now. Um, Esme is over at uh, Sunnymead uh, Junior School. Isaac's at Sunnymead Infant School and Max is at Sunnymead Preschool. So as you can tell, we don't commute into Billericay. Uh, we actually live in Sunnymead, just down the road in, uh, on Hill Way. And, uh, and so it's really good to be part of this community, good to come down here. They're all at uh, Perry Street today, um, worshipping over there. Uh, really enjoy the, the, the kids' groups and whatnot. So, of course, it's Mother's Day, so I've given my wife, Sarah, um, over there. You can see her. Um, uh, the joy of having the three children this morning uh, at the service. I am such a wonderfully good husband. Um, but it's great to be here. Thank you, Thank you for having me. And, uh, and yeah, it's not going to be seven years again until I'm back, because I'm back again next week. So... Um, uh, so that will be good. And we're doing this in two parts today. Ian, of our, Ian and I have had a very uh, brief exchange of emails. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read to you what he, uh, uh, what, what he said to me about, um, about today. Um, uh, it's coming from his email, don't worry. I'm not texting or anything like that. I'm not bored of what I'm speaking about already. Um, so he said, um, it will be really good uh, uh, to talk about a bit of a pre-Easter subject. I felt it would be good to explore a different aspect, namely what was on the mind of Christ as he approached the cross. There can be no better place to find the answer than in his Last Supper discourse in John chapter 17. And then he says, I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it, but it's up to you. La la la. Uh, Jesus speaks of his glory, his thoughts for his disciples, and then for us. And his prayer, uh, in his prayer, I found the reasons for Calvary and the amazing outcomes that are ours as a consequence. Now, just like I love talking about my family, uh, because they're always on my mind, um, John chapter 17 is, is Jesus talking about those that he loves the most. Uh, this is what many call the real Lord's Prayer. It's what people sometimes call the high priestly prayer. I'll talk a bit about that in a second, but I, I'm going to pray just before we read John chapter 17 together. Father, I want to thank you that we're here this morning. I want to thank you that uh, we get the opportunity to worship together, to, to be together, and, uh, and to learn a little bit more about you and who you are. I pray, Father God, that the words that I speak will be from you, not from me. And I pray that... In our hearts, we'll be open to learn, uh, we'll be open to knowing you more. 
In Jesus' name, Amen. So if you've got Bibles, you can, um, you can flick to John chapter 17. I'll give you a bit of a clue where it is. It's, uh, it's the one that's just after 16. But if you're at 18, you've gone one too far. Um, the titles that the NIV, uh, a lot of us read from, uh, I don't find particularly helpful. And you, you hopefully know, uh, I'm not giving you anything new here, that those titles were not part of the original manuscript. They're, they're things that were put in afterwards as Bible translators um, translated the Bible and tried to help us a little bit. But uh, I don't find the title of this, uh, this chapter particularly helpful. Actually, there are three titles in there. Jesus prays to be glorified, Jesus prays for his disciples, and Jesus prays for all believers. I would much prefer to change that title uh, so that it had one title, and it was just Jesus prays for us. I'm going to read from uh, John chapter 17 now. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over the people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave, to me, gave me to do. And now, Father God, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those you have given me for they are yours. I ha- all I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except for the one who is doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word, and the word has hated, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may too be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, as you and I are one. May they also be in us, so that we 
Uh, sorry, may I also be in us, so that the world, world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you, have, that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me, and you have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, through the, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. Thank you, Lord. Um, John Knox, uh, an old Scottish theologian, loved this passage so much that uh, it's said that on his deathbed he asked his wife to read it over and over and over to them. He he, he says that this is the the passage that he found most comfort in, that he anchored his, his theology in. It's quite a long passage, so we're going to break it up. And guess what? Today we're actually only going to cover the first five verses of it. That's why you've got to come back next week. Um, but first, a little bit of context. Where are they? Um, so, um, so this is part of the Last Supper. And a lot has gone on over the last seven days. From Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead through to Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry. Lots of emotions going on, from awe and wonder to praise and worship. Not only that has happened, but but, but Jesus has also started to talk about him not being there. A little bit confusing maybe for some of the disciples. Not only that, is that the leaders that were jealous of him have started to ramp up their efforts, their plot to kill him. There's a bit of a, 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 an undertone of fear maybe from some of the disciples. But Jesus says, let's crack on, let's have a meal together. Now the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, suggest that this could possibly be a cedar meal, a Passover meal. Um, John makes it perfectly clear in, uh, in the Gospel of John that he, he doesn't think this is a, uh, a Passover meal. Um, he says that in, uh, in chapter 19, uh, 1 on in verse 14, where he says that uh, they were making the preparations for the Passover when Jesus was crucified. Uh, the Passover would normally happen on the first two days of preparation of the week-long Passover festival. So this is probably a meal before the Passover meal. But Jesus gets his disciples together. This is, uh, uh, I was about to say Leonardo DiCaprio. He's an actor, isn't he? (laughs) Leonardo da Vinci's um, uh, portrayal of what it might have looked like. It probably looked absolutely nothing like that at all, right? But um, I thought I'd bring it up for you because this is when when they're together, right? And they're, they're probably having some fun together. They're probably recalling all of the things that had happened in the last three years from when Jesus called these boys, uh, some of which were fishermen, some of which were tax collectors, all sorts of people together to follow him. They would have been relaxed. 
they'd have been in familiar company. And over the next few chapters, or over the course of the meal, because, you know, no one knew there were chapters back then, did they? Um, over the course of the meal, Jesus starts to uh, reveal some of the things that we hold really dear in, in Scripture. Like it's, it's almost like he saved it all up and he just he gave us some of the really good stuff uh, during this Last Supper. He talks about, um, or he shows um, his servanthood, his servant nature as he washes the disciples' feet. He leads by example. He talks about his um, betrayal, that someone in this room is going to betray him. He he actually says that Peter's going to deny him. In chapter 14, he talks about his father's house. He says that, you know, if I am one um, with him, he is one with me. He says there are many rooms in my father's house. If it weren't so, why would I tell you? One of the first uh, verses that I ever committed to heart was in uh, uh, chapter 14. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In one sense it's as simple as that, isn't it? We could kind of boil down the Gospel just to that. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He starts talking about, or starts talking more about the Trinity, the true I in God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says that I'm going away, but don't worry, an advocate will come. The Holy Spirit will come and be with you. Chapter 15, he talks about the vine and the branches. He says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for another. He talks about persecution, but he talks again about the advocate, the Holy Spirit coming and being with them, turning their grief into joy. Chapter 16, he talks more about the persecution, but he talks more about the comfort. Don't worry, I will be with you through him who will come to you. So here we are at chapter 17. And, uh, and really these are the, yeah, the last words of Jesus before he takes the disciples down to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is arrested well, where he prays again, which is not captured in, in the chapters of John, but in the Synoptic Gospels. Um, but where he, he prays again, he's arrested and taken off and crucified. There's three things that I want to pick out from the first, uh, the first five verses of, um, of chapter 17. Number one is that Jesus prayed. Number two is that Jesus glorified the Father. And number three is that Jesus gives away the secret to eternal life. Those three things. These are the things that were on Christ's mind in his last moments on earth. So Jesus prayed. Have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed? I mean, Jesus was God, wasn't he? Why did Jesus need to pray? Now John talks about it in the first, uh, the, the, the first verses of John. He, he, he makes it very clear that um, you know, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word being Jesus. He's talking a bit figuratively now. The, 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 the Hebrew for the word word is logos. Logos is where we get our word logic from or the reason behind things. In the beginning was the reason behind things. And the reason behind things, Jesus, was with God and the reason behind things was God. So if 
Jesus was God, why did he have to pray? Well, John reveals it a little bit later. He says the word, the reason behind things, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. Now, there's a whole sermon series that could sit behind that and get in your head around those kind of gymnastics, but, but God was fully man, fully theos. Uh, fully God, sorry, fully theos. But he was also fully man, fully anthropos. He was theos anthropos. He was the God-man. He, and it says it in, um, in verse 5 of chapter 17, it says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He stepped away from that glory and lived within the constraints of a human body. But he knew that glory. He knew he had that glory. He remembers that glory. But he's constrained to work within the rules of humans. So when he got hungry, he had to eat. When he got thirsty, he had to drink. When he was tired, he had to sleep. When he wanted to be close to his father, he had to pray. Now, if Jesus felt the need to pray, what does that teach us about us? If we want to be close to the Father, prayer must be central to our lives. And it's lovely to come up, you know, together and pray earlier on. Um, when we talk to God, or when we talk to our friends or, or our, our loved ones, yeah, we don't necessarily wake up in the morning and say, how do you do? Go about our work and, and, and day and then before we put our head on our pillow, say again to our loved ones, how do you do? Yeah, we're in constant communication with them. If you go out for a meal with someone, you talk to them, don't you? God lives in us through his Holy Spirit. Yeah, we're, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives within us. We take Jesus wherever we go. Are we talking to Jesus all the time? Are we talking to God, the Father, all the time through his Holy Spirit? It doesn't just have to be times of silence. It doesn't just have to be times of studiousness with hands closed and eyes closed and kneeling. It should be times when you're in the car or when you're walking along the road or when you're talking to people in the shop. Whatever it is, we should be in constant communion with our Father. And actually I feel that is when I'm most at peace. Is when I can, when I can just say to God, God, I just, yeah, I just love you. I just need you. I just want to hear from you. Teach me in this situation that I've just seen what you would do. The danger of holding that up to praying in the evening is that you forget it, right? <laughs> Pray in the moment. Be in the moment. Jesus modelled prayer and he modelled it well. He modelled it so well that um, his disciples came to him once and said, teach us how to pray. Like they didn't say, teach us how to walk on water because that would be cool. He didn't say, they didn't say, teach us how to raise the dead or turn that water into wine because that's a decent party trick. They said, teach us how to pray. 
And then the Lord gave them these words, Our Father who art in heaven, which is unhelpfully titled the Lord's Prayer, as I said earlier on. Now, I don't think that's the Lord's Prayer at all, because I don't think the Lord ever prayed it. In fact, I can tell you the Lord never prayed it, and I know the Lord never prayed it, because there's a bit in it that says, Forgive us our sins or trespasses. Who never sinned? Jesus. So it can't be the Lord's Prayer, can it? It's the disciples' prayer. Right? This is the Lord's Prayer. Chapter 17 of John, the high priestly prayer. These are the words that Jesus prayed when he prayed. And that's what reveals the mind of Christ in that. So Jesus modelled prayer for us. Number one, as he says, he looked towards heaven and prayed. Just one of many prayer postures looking towards heaven, right? As I said, pray in the moment, kneeling, all sorts of things. And remember that prayer is as much about listening to the Father as it is about speaking to the Father. My wife reminded me about that when uh, we had an argument many years ago about my poor communication. And I said, I'm not a poor communicator. I'm always talking to you. (laughs) And she reminded me that, of course, communication is a two-way thing and it involves me listening. Listen to what the Father has to say to you. Because he will be saying things and be alive to hear what those are. So number two, Jesus glorified the Father for you granted him authority you granted him authority over the people that he may give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life uh, that you know the only one true God. You have brought glory to God on earth by finishing the work you have given me to do. Jesus glorifies the Father. So let me give you um, three very quick reasons why I think that, uh, that, that Jesus glorified the Father through Uh, the cross. How did he glorify the Father through the cross? Probably not the way that I would have done things, a cross, right? But but I'm not God, so... Why did he use a cross to glorify him? So these three reasons that I'd give you is love, wisdom and power. Love. True love has to be a choice. Right? If I had a gun to someone's head and I say, tell me that you love me, they're probably going to say, I love you. But do you think that's genuine love? Probably not, right? <laughs> probably not. Um, you need a choice. You need to make a choice to love. But love is also sacrificial by its very nature. Esme went to a disco a little while ago and she came back. We give her a little money for the disco to buy herself some, um, some sweets or some crisps. She came back and um, uh, said, what did you eat when you were there? Oh, nothing, Daddy. I ran out of money. How did you, well, we gave you like a fiver. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money. <laughs> How did you run out of that? Um, and uh, she duly took her little handbag that she took to her disco emptied it out on the floor and said, I bought a load of things for my brothers. I mean, it was toot, really, but, <laughs> but that doesn't matter, right? Um, she said, I, I think Max would really love this ball with this silly face on, and I think Isaac would really like this ring with, you know, with this glowing light on. She'd made a sacrifice. 
She'd chosen to buy something for the brothers that she loves so much and she's decided not to get anything for herself. A sacrificial love. The cross is Jesus' sacrificial love for us. He didn't need to go to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. And he said in the chapter before, greater love has no one than this, that he or she give their life for another. He has given his life. It's sacrificial. So the cross is where we see the ultimate show of love. The cross is also where we see God's wisdom. How do we see God's wisdom? Well, the problem with sin is, you know, sin needs to be punished. But when you love someone, you don't want to see them suffer, do you? No one wants to see them suffer. So you've kind of got this divine dichotomy that says, I love these people so much, but they've sinned and I need to punish them. They need to suffer for the sin because there's a consequence to sin. You see, this is where love and justice meet together in something that's incredibly wise and incredibly beautiful. Because Jesus, that sacrificial love, comes alongside justice in his infinite innocence. He gives his life as a punishment for all of our, what seems like, infinite sin. And the wrath of God is satisfied. So love and justice come together to show wisdom, the wisdom of God. God, Jesus glorifies God at the cross because he shows how wise God the Father really is. And power is number three. Now man has achieved so much in this world, from flight to industrialisation to harnessing energy from the sun, inoculations, all sorts of things. It's Mother's Day today, there's a staple gift that we uh, often give our mothers and I didn't need to give my mother this because she doesn't need it but um, but my children gave it to my wife and I'm not saying she needs it but creams, you know that, yeah, creams and stuff like that, yeah. We can can delay the ageing process, can't we, with, with all sorts of wonderful things that man has invented but one thing man has not invented and I tell you one thing man will never invent is the ability to overcome death. You can delay the signs of it, but you can't overcome it. We can cure the diseases, but we can't ultimately stop death. But guess what? On the cross, Jesus dies, and three days later, he's risen. It shows the power of God that he, the only being in this world, has the ability to overcome the power of death. He overcomes it. Jesus raises three days after he dies. So, um, so we've got in this, these beginning five verses of, uh, uh, of chapter 17 uh, an example that Jesus shows us how to pray. He wants us to know. That's what's in the mind of Christ. He wants us to know that prayer is central to our lives with him. He wants us to know that this cross is all about us. 
It's all about giving us the freedom that he glorifies the Father to give us the freedom to live. And the third thing, the third really quick thing, is he gives us the secret to eternal life. And he says it in verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. Those words that we sung earlier on from Graham Kendrick, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing There is no greater thing. We get so distracted, don't we sometimes? We get so distracted by the world around us, by the challenges around us. I mean, in that first verse, yeah, yeah, all I once held dear, um, was it people, talking about war, wasn't it? People warring to get what they want, they, what they own. You know, there were wars going around. We need to pray that people know God and some of that will happen through all the aid and and the people that we know that are helping people but ultimately our prayer is for their eternal life which is that they know God the Father and Jesus Christ who sent him because the only way to the Father is through the Son so as I kind of started talking about my family a little bit you know what's on my mind so Jesus talks about what's his what's on his mind in the first few chapter, uh, verses of this chapter. What's on his mind, we are on his mind. We are always on his mind. He prays for us. Have you ever been in that situation where someone has offered to pray for you? And um, you know, in our humanity, sometimes um, you know, when the pastor prays for you, it's kind of better than the person sitting next to you or you know, when, the, when the holy visiting speaker comes or whatever it is. Well, we've got Jesus praying for us. Who better to pray for us than the pastor, than the holy visiting speaker, than the, than the evangelist? We have Jesus praying for us. Now we're going to explore some more themes uh, of chapter 17. Uh, when I started reading this a, you know, a month or two ago when Ian said it's going to be chapter 17, I read it, I thought, what am I going to talk about? And then I read it again and I read it again and I read it again and I thought, goodness, I'm going to need four sermons to talk about this. I'm drawing to a close now, but we'll, 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 we'll explore some more themes about how precious we are to Jesus next week, about unity and his wish for unity within the church, within ourselves. But for now, I just want to pray for you guys and, um, and hand back over. Father, I want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I want to thank you that he, he took the choice to go to the cross. I want to thank you that in his last moments, he wasn't praying about regrets that he had. He wasn't praying that you, you, know, you, you cosmically remove him from this situation and he doesn't have to come back. You, he wasn't praying that the, the nails wouldn't be painful. He wasn't praying for a quick release. He was praying for us. And he continues to sit at the right-hand side of the Father, interceding for us, praying for us. And if he is praying for us, who better to pray? 
what more can we know in our lives? Lord, I pray that you will you'll speak to us this week, you'll be with us this week. When we talk to you, as we casually go about our day, that we will hear from you, that we will respond and that you will change us. And I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.